Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. <laughs> oh, what is up and Merry Christmas, Church by the Glades. So good to see you. If you are a guest, thank you. Again, if there's empty seats, uh, scoot towards the center. Folks, you're still coming in the room. Glad you're here. This is the first, I think, of eight services this weekend. So if you miss part, you can come back tomorrow and bring a guest. So uh, I will know the sermon really well by the time it's tomorrow afternoon. So glad you're with us right now. So anyways, the theme this year, of course, you've caught on already, is Christmas AI. Christmas AI. And for the sake of our conversation, AI is any technique or algorithm uh, that lets a machine mimic human behavior. So it allows technology to get better and to... <laughs> just, just a minute here. Okay, so I'm curious, I'm curious, I'm curious. Best Christmas sermon ever. You know, how about old school? How about old school? I mean, AI will have its place in the future, but uh, well, not, not this weekend, but AI is not a futuristic technology. AI is part of your everyday life. Uh, face recognition on your smartphone, that's an expression of AI. Uh, the Explore page on your social media. Alexa, Siri, of course, AI. The GPS in your car, that is AI. Even on Netflix, that little section that says suggested for you, that's an algorithm, that is AI. So again, it's part of our everyday life. So I want to talk about that today, but before, uh, have you enjoyed today so far? Have you enjoyed this? How great were the musicians and <laughs> video people? Our creative team, they're so fun all the time, but wait till January. We, we do themes or series. So the January series I'm excited about because we're all making resolutions in January. I want to entice you to come back. If you hit just Christmas or Easter, thank you so much, but I hope you'll come back and just try it. So in January, we're going to start a new series. I'm excited. It's called Everything is Fine. Everything is Fine. But here's the graphic. <laughs> and that's because we say that all the time. We say, I'm fine or everything is fine, but we're not fine. Right. And all of us are at least grown-ups in the room. You know, we have some issue or some habit or some addiction that we've tried to change in the past. And we've just not been successful. So after a while, you just kind of give up and you learn to make it your reality. You just embrace your dysfunction. You kind of limp through life. I think this is your year, 2024, not to deny your dysfunction, but deal with and delete your dysfunction. And the Bible has these practical tools to help you make a lasting change. The Bible's about transformation. So if you have issues, raise your hand if you have issues. If you've got an issue in your life, raise your hand. And your, if your hand's not up, your issue is lying in church. We all have something. So come back in January, it'll be creative and fun and helpful. And you don't have to believe everything we believe to hang out with us. If you're here, it's a great place to kick tires. So if you enjoyed today, if you enjoyed today, come back. Today, there's a verse in the Bible where God says, taste and see that I'm good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So today you got a taste, you got a little sample. Come back for a second sample. 
You know what I mean? Like when you're hungry and you go to Costco, where's the first place you go? Where do you go? You go to the back to like the sample people and you go around and you take those samples and they are cool when you take that first sample. But if you try to circle back around for a second sample, if you put up your hoodie and on your Ray-Bans, if they spot you, they don't like that, right? They take, I want you to come back for a second sample. So January, everything is fine. Come hang out with us. But today, thank you for being here. I know it's a busy time of year. We really appreciate you being with us. We'll get you in and out in less than an hour. But uh, the framework for the biblical conversation is AI. But I wanna confess that, I, look, I'm not an expert on AI. I've done some research, which used to mean I had a PhD or master's degree. Now it means I've watched four videos on YouTube. And so I know just enough to be dangerous. But here's what AI is. It's, it's that tech that has the ability to learn. And the purpose of any good tech is to make our lives better, easier, and give us access to new information, new data, new discoveries. But good, I'm not trying to you know, pull off a TED Talk on AI. I'm horribly underqualified for that. What I wanna do today is teach you from the Word of God, just a few minutes in this busy season. And I love to teach the Bible. It's the greatest seller of all time. No book in history has rocked the human family like the Word of God. It will inspire you, it will challenge you, it will, it will guide you in life. So here are the, uh, the Christmas accounts written by both Matthew and Luke. Please check out my friends. They share this on the screen right now. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when he rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Uh, I, I, I 
love a good Jesus story. Those, that's the best ones. That's Matthew and Luke's account of the Christmas narrative. And again, I want to use AI. I'm not an expert, but AI is a framework for our conversation. Take a fresh look at this. So AI, like any powerful new tech, has potential that's very positive or problematic. It can be good or bad. Uh, here's some examples of very popular uh, examples of, of AI. Uh, there's one called ChatGPT. Uh, put your hands together if you heard of that. Anybody heard of that one? Looks like mm, a little more than half the crowd. If you haven't, what it is, it's a generative research and writing program. And what it can produce is amazing. You can give it a topic and it can write an essay or a biography. It's remarkable. It can do very smart tech. And so when my wife and I first heard about ChatGPT, uh, Church by the Glaze is entered into a partnership for about six months with First Baptist Church of Fort Lauderdale. Uh, if you don't know what that church is, it's the big church down on Briar Boulevard, just east of US 1, like some of the best church real estate on the eastern seaboard. And once upon a time, it was the most dynamic and powerful church in South Florida. They've come on hard times. We've kind of come together to kind of bring the life and the energy we have out west to that great church. And so we're very excited about that. So I'm at that church one weekend, here one weekend, and it's been really a great, fun partnership. But when that first came up, uh, we asked my wife and I, Chad, GPT, to uh, write a essay on First Baptist. Here's what it wrote, and this is coming from a computer. It says, the First Baptist Church in Fort Lauderdale is a prominent spiritual center that stands as a beacon of faith and community within South Florida. Established in 1907, is the oldest church and oldest business in Broward County. Uh, this historic congregation has grown into a multifaceted institution, deeply rooted in its commitment to serving both its members and the larger community. The church's architecture embodies a blend of traditional and contemporary elements, showcases it. This is from a computer. Isn't that incredible? A plethora of topics you can ask it, and it will give you something just equally as great. In fact, not just that. It also can uh, speak with a, a genre or write from a perspective of a certain person. Like as we had our creative meeting, that was not our creative meeting in the videos, but we have creative meetings. One of our young guns, Bree, Bree, come out here. Bree works in my office. Give it up for Bree. She's uh, a lot of our team's very, very young. And Bree, you kind of looked this up and you had the same thing. You asked to define First Baptist Church, but you said this time in the voice of a Gen Z girl. Yo, so First Baptist is low key like the chill spot, you know? It's got those vibes that just hit different. The vibes are like a mix of spiritual games strong. The church is not, the church is like all modern and welcoming. Not your grandma's typical church, for real. The services are lit with relevant messages and worship that hits different with some rad tunes. And the people there, they're like fam. Not, and always ready for a good time or a deep combo. Whether you're into faith stuff or need a dope community to vibe with, First Baptist Fort Lauderdale is that place where you can be your true self and feel like you're part of something bigger, you know? <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> so again, that, that's impressive technology. It, it is so smart that ChatGPT can now pass the bar exam in most states 90% of the time. That's the positive. Here's the problematic. Students are now using ChatGPT to do their homework. In fact, in my research, I've found that one-third of American college students admit to the fact they've used programs like this to do their assignments and turn the assignment in as their own. Now, students, I know that's very tempting, but here's the problem. These programs are good and smart, but they're not perfect. And sometimes if they're wrong, they'll make up an answer. Uh, tech experts call that hallucinating. And so it'll just make up and spit out something completely bogus, but in great detail and with great confidence, it's very convincing. 
Uh, example, a tech reporter asked one of these programs to write a biography on the famed Flemish uh, philosopher and chemist Antoine de Machelet. And he wrote out this like five page biography with great detail about the place he was born, the cities he lived in, his contributions, his philosophies. Here's the problem. Antoine de Machelet is a fake person. It made the whole thing up. In fact, that image right there, that beautiful image, that was produced by AI. I mean, it's smart, but it's problematic. So I just gave every professor in the room and every high school teacher a hack to catch your students that are cheating using AI. Do your own homework in Jesus' name, amen? And so good or bad, another example is this. Uh, there's something called a deep fake, a deep fake. I'm not sure if that's a noun or a verb. I think it's a noun. And it refers to programs that can produce a facsimile of someone's appearance and their voice. So if your image is online, and it probably is, and your voice is online for more than a few seconds, like mine, they can make a fake you that's very, very convincing. In fact, right now, the famous faces you see on the screen, the faces you're about to see and you recognize, it's the real thing, <laughs> are not the people you Give think they are. In Will fact, they're not even people. Look at so that's not really Tom Cruise. The ability to capture that's not Morgan Freeman. That makes sense. These are all AI-generated synthetic people. So what's the negative? Oh my gosh, hackers can now imitate you, steal your information, steal your investments. I mean, that's problematic. What's the positive? What's well, so creative? You ever wonder like, what would the 1939 movie Wizard of Oz look like if they cast Arnold Schwarzenegger? as Dorothy. Somewhere over the rainbow, way up high, there's a land that I heard of once in a lullaby. We've seen Arnold enough, I think. I don't care who you are. That's just funny, man. That's just, that's just funny. So AI, again, the moral implications are, are is it gonna be good or bad? Is, is how we use it? And that's true of any new technology. We had the same conversation with the internet years ago and things like space travel back in the day. So it can be good or bad. But let me kind of uh, be, be a positive person. I'm talking about Christmas and not the book of Revelation, which I don't think is a AI robot apocalypse. The purpose of technology, the positive purpose, is to give us access to new information, data, and exciting discoveries. I think the Christmas story is all about access. In fact, when I say three, everybody in the room shout the word access. Ready? One, two, three. Access. Come on, louder. One, two, three. I think Christmas is about access. It's this. As much as we want to get to God, if you feel alone in the universe and you want a relationship with God, I think the Bible teaches with clarity that we have no ability to get access to God on our own. No matter what science or technology or even morality or religious we devise, we can't get to God. But Christmas teaches we couldn't get to God, but God came to us. Christmas is a story about divine access. Oh, if you're watching online, about 10% of people clapped right there. I'll break it down for the people who didn't get it the first time. Too late, too late. No sympathy applause back there. It teaches that, that well, I love John's account. I've shown you Matthew and Luke's. John's account, he says it symbolically, John chapter one, uh, verse 14. It's one of the Jesus stories in the Bible. It says, and the word became flesh and blood. The word, Greek word logos is a symbol for Christ. It means wisdom or, or logic. 
Jesus, God Almighty, became flesh and blood. You see, the story of Christmas is not, it's not a facsimile. It's not God with a, with a human facade. We don't, we don't serve a synthetic savior. It's not God under a deep digital disguise. God became a human. In fact, the theological implications of Christmas are staggering, that Jesus, Jesus is fully God, and at the same time, fully human. I know it blows your mind how that could be all true at the same time. The Bible teaches it absolutely is true. He's fully man and he's fully God. See, it's required. If he's not fully God, he doesn't have the power to save us and forgive our sins and take us to heaven. If he's not fully man, right, he can't relate to us with our hurt and our pain, our disappointment. But he is both of those. Now, here's the crazy thing. that the generations, people of faith have undervalued either his humanity or his divinity. They, they kind of press into one and, and undervalue the other. Example, in the first century, and by the way, uh, the first century people, the theologians thought that God was far away. In the first century in Israel, due to what? To chaos. The world was very broken back then. We had the Roman occupation and the oppression of the Romans, their taxation. There's a tremendous recession. People are on the edge of bankruptcy and starvation. Then you had Jewish zealots, patriots, and there's rebellion, there's violence in the streets. On top of that, there's been no prophetic word for 400 years. Uh, between Malachi, the final book in your Old Testament, and the teaching of John, four centuries. God's been quiet. So no wonder the theologians like, God's tapped out. God's so frustrated with people, our failures, our, our problems were dumpster fires. <laughs> the theologian said he's seven heavens away, not even biblical. So when you pray, God doesn't care anymore. He can't hear. There's no more miracles. God's not involved with people. There's no access because God is so removed. But God shocks and surprises everyone that he lovingly invades this broken, sin-stayed world where he came and became a baby at Christmas. Fully God, fully human. Now, during Jesus' lifetime, it seems they miss out on the fully God part, right? They're looking for a Messiah. There's all kinds of messianic expectation when Jesus is born. But in busy, bustling Bethlehem, they all miss him. And then just seven miles away in Jerusalem, there are scholars and scribes seeking the Savior in the Scripture, but they don't show up. Think about your nativity set. You don't see any rabbis or scholars. You see shepherds and wise men. Uh, even, even in the temple. See, I gave you a little extra slice of the Christmas story this year. We, we talked about his baby dedication. The temple during Jesus' day was incredibly busy. I mean, thousands of people. Think, uh, uh, think a mall in South Florida before online shopping, <laughs> December 24th. And so when they brought the baby to be dedicated at 40 days of age, uh, there'd be rabbis there and there'd be priests there and there'd be uh, uh, all kinds of Levites there and they knew the Torah and they knew the prophecy. They all missed that Mary held in her arm the Messiah. There'd be thousands of worshipers looking for God. In fact, during the baby dedication, there's other families dedicating their babies. In fact, I love biblical detail. Don't you enjoy biblical detail? I think every word in your Bible, God put there on purpose. And it tells us when Mary and Joseph came to dedicate Jesus, the offering they offered were two turtle doves. Now, in the Torah, it says when you have a firstborn child, the offering is a lamb. But it makes a provision for poor people. If you don't have access to the resources to buy a lamb for the sacrifice, you get by with the two doves. So that's how we know Mary and Joseph are not wealthy. And though he's a skilled laborer, he's a carpenter, there's this recession. And people are living hand to mouth. So Mary and Joseph can only afford the two doves. In case you're like me and you're skeptical and you're cheap. And you're like, well, maybe Joseph's just trying to save some money. He found this like Old Testament loophole and get away with no lamb. I found in my experience, the one place the new parents don't skimp, baby dedication. 
We do them here every few months and we do a baby dedication. Oh my gosh, those parents roll up and they're dressed up and mama's hair is done and her nails are done. But those babies, those little girls in their gorgeous gowns, their, their bonnets, but the little boys, some of the little boys are wearing little white tucks, little baby white Jordans. And it doesn't matter if the parent drives a Bentley or a 2003 Dodge Neon belching smoke. They don't save money with the baby dedication, at least of the first baby. If it's baby number five, maybe then. So Mary and Joseph didn't have the access to the money to buy a lamb. Maybe that's you. Maybe you grew up, you didn't have access to good neighborhoods or good schools. You didn't have opportunities or nice clothes. You have access to God through Christ. And people sometimes miss the treasure right there in front of them. They're all looking for Messiah. Everybody, all the Levites and all the priests and all the work, they're looking, all the other parents are looking for Messiah. And here comes this couple in probably unimpressive clothes, no lamb in tow. They got the two doves. And the other people are probably marginalized and thinking, oh, bless their heart, they're poor. They're poor. No lamb. They look down on them. They judge them, not knowing that Mary held in her arms the Lamb of God himself. Remember when Jesus shows up to be baptized and John sees him? What did he say? He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth. I love in Revelation chapter five, when Father God sits on his powerful throne in his right hand, the scroll sealed with seven seals, they'll bring this whole broken experience called earth to conclusion. And there's a mighty angel, a loud voice bellowing out a question, who is worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and bring about the end of time? And the angel says, no one was worthy in all of heaven or earth no prophet, no priest, no angel, but Jesus steps up. When he steps up, the angel says, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah who has conquered. The lion, he's the lion. That refers to his power, his might, his majesty. Guess what? Jesus is dangerous. He'll do violence to your shame and your sin and your dysfunction. I love he's a lion. But in the next verse, it says, John says, I looked and I saw a lamb. And on the lamb were wounds. that once it caused his death. See, Jesus is a lion and a lamb. And I love that, I love the balance in Jesus. He's too lamb-like to be just a lion and too lion-like to be just a lamb. I love my awesome bipolar king, I love him. So Mary holds the lamb of God and everybody missed it. They missed out on his divinity. I think these days, you know, people of faith, we kind of undervalue his humanity. We recognize Jesus is God, he's powerful and amazing, can take you to heaven. We kind of sleep on the fact that he was fully human as well. I love what it says in Hebrews. Hebrews says we have a great high priest who ascended to the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Therefore stand firm in your faith. And then it says, but this high priest is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses for he is tempted in every way like us yet without sin. Therefore, therefore, let us draw near to the throne of grace with boldness and confidence to receive grace and find mercy in our time of need. Jesus was fully God, but fully human. Jesus got tired. He was hungry. He was misunderstood. He was lied about. He was rejected. He was maligned. He was marginalized. Any pain you feel, he knows. So when you pray, he understands. Fully God, fully man. And I love no intelligence, human or artificial, would come up with this, that the God who cannot be contained by the cosmos became a human. And not, not, a, not a ruler or a king or an emperor or a pharaoh, not even a grown-up. 
not even a baby, an embryo embedded in the womb of a peasant girl. Are you kidding me? It is so creative. And God did all that to have a relationship with you and me. We couldn't get to God. So he came to us. I'll wrap up this way. So uh, again, every time there's new tech, AI, the internet, you know, we, we freak out, what's gonna be, how do we handle this? And again, it's always a moral challenge. It requires wisdom and discernment. But uh, I'm old enough, I remember, I was a little boy when we put a man on the moon. Yeah, I'm that old, I, I, I saw that. One of my first memories in life. Some of you are old enough, in 1961, you remember when humanity put a person in space. It was a very, very big deal. Now here was the shocker to the Americans in the Western world. It was not someone from the US. Everyone thought we were leading in the, the, the race to get to space. It was a Russian. A cosmonaut named Yuri Gagarin was the first human being to make it to space. And so it was a very, very big deal. So uh, the Cold War and the space race was on at that point. But when Gagarin re returned in one of his speeches afterward, he said this, he said, I soared to the heavens and I never found God. And stay with me, he's a Russian. Right? He's just regurgitating Marxist ideology that's atheistic. atheistic. He's just saying what his handlers told him to say. Uh, but the great C.S. Lewis was still alive. You know who that is? Yeah. Uh, so if you don't, C.S. Lewis was a scholar, Oxford professor, brilliant author, um, Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, and by the way, he did not, was not a Christian as a young person. He was agnostic, but he did his research. Y'all need to do your research. If you're not a Christian person, I get it, that, that's fine, but have you done your research on Jesus? Because he's the most per important person ever to walk the planet. I don't just mean spiritually or religiously, I mean historically, sociologically. His impact of this itinerant rabbi from Nazareth is greater than any king or Caesar or president or politician or philosopher or scientist. You need to do your research on Jesus. And I don't mean watch a few videos on YouTube. Uh, there are four Jesus stories in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matt, read, read Luke. Luke. Luke has the Christmas story. In fact, skip chapter three. That's a genealogy. Read the whole thing. It'll take you an hour. Do your research. And then how about this? Come back in January or come next week. Rally takeover is going to be amazing. I mean, the young guns are going to take over. At churches back in the day when the young guns took over, you're like, oh, bless their heart, right? They're trying. It's, it's, it's incredible. Come back next week. But you come back three weeks with an open mind. You walk through these tunnels three weeks. So you read Luke and you do that. And you come with an open mind. In three weeks, you'll walk out of here going like, they're stalking me. They've hacked my email. How did they know? See, God's not just powerful, he's personal. So C.S. Lewis, uh, he did his research, ended up becoming a very devout Christian. And in response to Gagarin's pronouncement, he went to the heavens, didn't find God. What he said was so brilliant. I mean, always quote a genius. And C.S. Lewis uh, said, well, here's the problem with the cosmonauts' appraisal of how you get to God. He said, it's not like God, uh, like we live on the first floor and God lives on the second floor. And all we gotta do is elevate our game, right? With, with religion or morality or science and we'll get to God. He said, no, God lives above and outside our space. Nowhere in our space will we ever find God. He, he's above that. In fact, we have about as much chance of finding or accessing God as Hamlet does to discover Shakespeare, right? The character in the play discovering the author plays. It will never happen. In fact, the only chance Hamlet has if is Shakespeare writes himself into the play. Christmas 
is God write Himself into the human story. In fact, I think this Christmas, God wants to write Himself into your narrative. Not just the nice parts of your narrative, but the wonky, crazy, broken parts. He wants a relationship with you. It says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know what gift Jesus wants for his birthday? It's not your money. It's not your best. It's not just your potential. It's all of you. It's all, faith is just taking that step, like God, I, I don't, I have questions, I, I still have issues. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know the whole Bible stuff, but I, I think, I believe you want a relationship with me. And that's what Christmas and surely Calvary is all about. So I'm gonna close the service this way. Uh, if you're here today and don't know for certain and sure you have a relationship with God, I want you to take advantage of what Jesus did at Christmas and at Calvary. I want everybody in the room to bow your head, close your eyes, every campus, the same thing. And, and right now, if you wanna begin a relationship with Jesus, just pray something like this. Take my words, make it your words, say, uh, dear Jesus, I I'm in. I'm saying yes. I want relationship with you. I believe you came at Christmas to give me access. You lived a sinless life. You died on the cross to pay for my sin. You arose again, you're alive right now. So Lord, save me. I give you a gift for Christmas. It's me. I got good, I got potential, I got talent, I got passion. But I also have brokenness, selfishness, and shame. I give it all to you. Thank you for saving me, for I make this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D. Hughes.